This week on episode 55 of the Driveline R&D podcast, we have Mike Resselron, CTO of Diamond Kinetics. Today we talked about the baseball technology environment, important considerations for comparing measurements between different products and different labs, what Mike is most excited about between the Diamond Kinetics swing tracker and pitch tracker, potential open source data sets in the future, and a good resource for becoming more of an expert in biomechanics. This episode was heavy on the technical side, but Mike does an awesome job of explaining things in very digestible terms. Before we get into the episode, don't forget about the 10% discount on Driveline Baseball Coaches certifications using code PODCAST, all undercase, at checkout by visiting edu.drivelinebaseball.com. Enjoy. Driveline R&D Podcast, episode 55. This is Alex Caravan, Driveline Baseball Manager of Data Science, and today drinking a guest choice out of um, Kentucky Bourbon Whiskey. Oh boy! Or <laughs> Tennessee whiskey. What, what, what do we got, Mike? Kentucky, Kentucky bourbon. Okay. Yeah. Lindley. Uh, Lindley, sports engineer, driving on baseball, drinking a duck rabbit amber ale, part of the craft uh, craft brewery deliveries that that Anthony got for us for Christmas. Let's go. And <laughs> Let's go. And I'm Anthony Brady, uh, primary host, driving on R&D podcast. Uh, oh, oh, oh. Sorry, I'm plug- trying to make sure uh, production's all good, audio and everything looks shown, but uh, manager of sports science. Yeah, episode 55. How many? Uh, let's see, we're, we're cruising. Is it like the audio and stuff has me so bugged out, I can't even talk right now because I'm so <laughs> worried that it's just going to bust down after like all the, the pain and headaches we went through to get the live setup working. Um, today I am drinking, uh, possibly spiked green tea, um, because I left all the craft beers at driveline, uh, unfortunately. So I can't even enjoy them yet right now. And, and we got a special Sorry. guest, uh, Mike Ressler, CTO of, uh, Diamond Kinetics. Mike, great to have you on, man. What are you drinking? Cheers, everyone. I'm drinking uh, Presidente, a massive Presidente. I <laughs> uh, was surprised I could find it in Pennsylvania after seeing you guys talk about it. Uh, so I thought I'd look for it. And yeah, 25 ounces of Presidente. That's yeah, you're, I mean, today. that's considered a considered a tall boy, right? How tall are you? I mean, tall boys are, you know, that's that's more than a tall boy, isn't <laughs> I it? I know, that's what I'm that's saying. Like a huge boy, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm that's six seven. I am that's a tall, I'm I'm tall guy, so I'll let it roll. But exactly, five ounces is huge. And, yeah, and Mike told us off air that it's actually his third Presidente, so we'll see when it starts to hit him. <laughs> Minute thirty. Yeah, but uh, yeah, yeah, Mike. Uh, yeah, happy to be on, guys. Yeah, yeah, we've, we've all talked before. You, you've seen a couple episodes, so this is pretty exciting. Um, figure most most basic question. I, I know a lot of people in baseball know you as a CTO of. Diamond Kinetics, but you want to give a kind of quick, uh, quick background on, on yeah, how you're there and what you're, what you're doing for. Yeah. So um, prior to Diamond Kinetics, I had started my own company uh, called Stat Easy. It was a sports statistics and video solution. Um, so I was a manager for the women's volleyball team at Carnegie Mellon. I played volleyball. That was my sport coach for a while too. I uh, started a company taking statistics and marrying those statistics with video, started up a whole company around it, um, hired, raised money, the whole gig um, that exited. And uh, CJ Handron was starting up Diamond Kinetics and I had been consulting with them for a little bit. And he asked me if I knew anybody that would be interested in starting up uh, the tech 
at Diamond Kinetics, and I could not raise my hand high enough and fast enough. Um, so I was very excited to to get to work at Diamond Kinetics. That was 2014, so it's been a number of years oh, wow. since. Yeah, 2010, I started my company. In 2014, joined uh, Diamond Kinetics. So when did DK start then? What what year was where they founded? Diamond Kinetics started in 2013. I believe it was okay. like midway through 2013 was when CJ and Buddy Clark, uh, CJ Handron and Buddy Clark, uh, Buddy a Professor at uh, University of Pittsburgh, uh, started it up. And Jeff Schultz, I think, was the first hire. I was he's our chief commercial officer, and I was the next hire behind him as CTO. Well, I was director of engineering back then. Come a broad question. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Lindley. I was going to say, uh, we uh, probably most of our viewers know uh, DK kind of dabbles in pitching and hitting both. What was the first? What was the first one for you guys to to get going on? Was it hitting or pitching? It was it was hitting. So we had a our Gen One sensors, and I normally have them like at the ready for demos. I don't have one right now, but yeah, it's an old. I have all of the old like three D printed sensors, and I mean, Buddy Clark. We have like a whole. Uh, whole shelf back at the office of the history of it but yeah it was all in hitting and we had some really janky contraptions uh dating way back i used to have to like plug a wire into it um so it was interesting to say the least but uh yeah the straps have evolved uh gen one was was pretty interesting had physical buttons you had to push uh and there was like a a thing you actually had to plug in to charge it so um, as a as kind of a this is a nerdier question i don't actually know if any of our viewers are going to be interested in this but coming from the engineering education there was this like typical progression of manufacturing from like 3d printing for uh, like prototyping and all that stuff. And then you get into either like injection molding or some other type of mass manufacturing. Are you guys, do you guys like, have you changed up your manufacturing process at all? And has that been an an interesting progression? It has, it really has. Um, So we do a lot of prototyping with 3d printing. Um, so it is a, still a valuable skill, uh, but Jeremy Rittenhouse, our uh, platform engineer, he's who he has done ever since Gen 1. He did our Gen 2 plastics and electrical and hardware design, um, and recently our, our more more recent Gen 3 units as well. Plastics, hardware, firmware, the whole thing. Um, and yeah, we have a contract manufacturer here in Pittsburgh that does all of those south of Pittsburgh. We'll lump it in with Pittsburgh um, and they do all of the electronics assembly and then the plastics come from a couple different places, but uh, yeah, and they get assembled here uh, in Western Pennsylvania. Yeah. I, I heard a rumor that uh, you got the very first version zero drawings of the DK straps next to you on, on your right. Is that true? <laughs> these are all this is my inspiration <laughs> yeah. good luck on work today. Let's go dad. Right. So my kids are cheering me on. This is my wonderful world for my son. These are good talking points. They, they, they make me smile every time I look at them. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. Future engineers right there, I'll tell you what. Thank yeah. you. We love to hear that. Good questions. Yeah, I, I guess getting into um, a little bit of IMU talk, do you have a, like, how would you explain an IMU to, a, to, to an ordinary person kind of just getting in the field? And, and how would you, like, Explain that being the focus DK kind of prioritized from the very get-go. Interesting. So I would probably say springs and tops. Um, So a spring is 
basically the accelerometer. So an IMU is an inertial measurement unit. That is the electronics that we use. And it is a MEMS sensor. And basically inside of it are microscopic um, springs that measure the force that act on the sensor. And that is the accelerometer. So it measures the acceleration. And for those of you uh, paid attention to physics, F equals MA, right? Anytime you have a, an acceleration, you're also, if you know the mass, you're, you're measuring the force then as well, but it's able to measure that acceleration. And then tops, I say tops because it's a, it's a gyroscope. Everyone understands the spinning top. Uh, really what that gyroscope measures is that angular velocity, that spin. Um, so if we have both the forces that are acting on the object and then the gyroscope, the spin, I can tell its orientation in, the, in space and then I can tell how much it's moved. And if I combine the two, I get a really good read on exactly where it is and where it's facing and where it's sort of oriented. With that information, even though it's just on this tiny little sensor, right, it can go into the handle end of a bat and sort of like magic, I and mean, you guys know all this, the science and physics that go into it, but um, it is like magic every single time that I see that happen. Um, but yeah, it reads all of that so precisely just from the handle end of the bat and then turns that into the beautiful 3D pictures that we, we know and use all the time. Yeah, I think, so I, that is my... I, I, think I always got, I got crossed up uh, in school when we got to like IMUs and, and force transducers and everything. I mean, that was like a really good description. Uh, but I think like the thing that honestly clicked the, the most for me when uh, understanding um, like gyroscopes and whatnot was just like, oh yeah, you think about like when you turn your phone from like portrait mode, you know, uh, yeah. to landscape kind of a thing. Uh, just like uh, when you hear IMU stands for inertial measurement unit, uh, I think it can mm -hmm. be a lot scarier than just like, oh yeah, it's just this thing that tells us like position, rotation uh, in space. Yeah. And it's in tons of like just normal items everything. that you use yeah. every day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm yeah, it's it's in your phone, right? So um, for a while, uh, way back in the beginning, we, we we aren't doing it now, but we we thought about having something where you could like strap your phone because we just wanted people to get a sense of it without necessarily needing to buy the hardware. Yeah, uh, but they're not the the IMUs inside of phones are not the same spec that ours have, and mm -hmm. as it turns out, we had to ruggedize it a ton. <laughs> so we don't want to encourage people swinging their phones around <laughs> and making contact, but. Um, yeah, same concepts lives inside of a phone. Yeah, I was going to ask in terms of like uh, IMU development. I mean, and, and Lindley, you might know some of this as well, but have there been any like large, uh, I guess, like breakthroughs or updates to the technology that have kind of like changed the way? Or is it mostly just over time they're getting smaller? They're getting smaller. They're getting lower cost. They're getting to where they can sample higher rates of change of uh, angular velocity so I can sample more degrees per second mm. before it saturates and I can sample higher forces before it saturates. Um, the, and yeah, and then putting it all on one chip and then coupling that chip with a Bluetooth unit and doing all these other things that just make it more useful for yeah. then downstream hardware developers like Diamond Kinetics to yeah. do. And a lot of those chip manufacturers are pushing that forward. There's a ton of really interesting sensing and sensors coming out. Um, 
that I think will be very interesting to see how they get applied in sports. Um, you know, DK is keeping an eye on them, obviously. Um, but um, a couple, couple cool things. I'm hoping to see new innovation all around. Yeah. What about the, I'm, I'm a little removed from the, from the sensor space a little bit more than I was in school, but what about the operating range? Cause my, in school, I learned how like, you basically, if you have a device that you want to measure a bunch of like a, a bunch of different movements or a movement that includes really fast movement mm-hmm. and really slow movement, yeah. you want to have sensors that kind of uh, accurately measure both ends of that spectrum. Because yeah. if you have something that measures really fast movement, it might not be as sensitive to really slow movement. Right. If you have something that's accurate with the slow movement, it's probably not going to be able to measure. It's going to get yep. saturated and measure the the fast movement. Is that yeah. one of the uh, specifications that's improving, or is it mostly around uh, that upper end of? So there's uh, a, a couple things you can do. Some sometimes that is just how many bits you use to encode the the sensing range. So if I uh, use you know eight bits to encode um, uh, a force, well then you know I have. Uh, zero to two to the eighth. And that's what I can, I can sense and how I, you know, compress that in. So if I have a 200 G scale and I can only sample at certain intervals. So increasing the number, the number of bits used gives me better fidelity. So I have more increments that I can uh, use. Um, some of that, then you have different noise thresholds where, uh, you know, if you're going to sense at that range, maybe you've got bigger noise. There's a lot of filtering techniques uh, to handle uh, getting rid of that noise and getting down to the signal. Um, Diamond Kinetics, uh, we actually do have a low, uh, a low range, uh, sorry, 16G or 32G and a 200G uh, accelerometer. So we can get both the, the fine precision movements um, when you're nice and still and then the really fast and obviously the impact, which uh, sends things through the roof, right? So that will always saturate on anything except for some piezoelectric uh, accelerometers. That's really, really interesting. I, I noticed when you when you gave us that demo when you we showed the spot where the sensor goes in the bat, you yeah. were using one of the bats. Uh, I think you guys call them smart bats. Yeah. Is there an advantage to using those over the external the external sensor that because in gym we typically use, I think we have some smart bats uh, laying around, but we we typically use the one that uh, basically straps onto the end of the knob. Is there yeah. a difference between using the two? There's not that much different. There's the simplicity, right? Like there's less for me to worry about here. Um, my kids all have the Marucci smart bats. Um, so they're using them. It's just easier. Um, it's cooler. Um, and we actually do, we do get more data, right? So if you consider um, if it's just strapped to the end, um, a lot of the vibrational information is attenuated. And if it's inside the bat, we really can read a lot of vibrational. Now we're not doing a lot with that today, um, but we hope to in the future. So we're looking at feasibility studies around what we could do with vibrational impact analysis, um, quality of contact, those sorts of things, but nothing, nothing presently. So possibly could be in the future, um, but just the simplicity thing for right now. How do you approach um sampling rate like how do you approach making a decision on what what sampling rate to use for an imu either specifically for dk's purposes or just broadly uh as a whole from an engineering point of view so that's a that's a really really good question um some of the ways that we're doing it or we have done it and the way we look at doing it is we can look at the power spectral density of the motion we can see what frequencies have the most 
energy. Um, and that informs us as to where the, the cutoff frequency would be, where if we're, we're going to stop sampling um, higher than a particular frequency, we need to know that particular information. Um, but the way that we do it generally, right, is the, the sensor and the clock can sample at some rate and we can you know, say they sample at a thousand hertz, we can drop every other and then we get down to 500 hertz. Um, and there's a way to smooth that out. You don't want to just drop every other, but there's a there's a whole branch of, of math and, and uh, uh, you know, um, a whole branch of math around like how you do that yeah. and do that correctly so you uh, don't alias uh, signal. It's it's really mind blowing uh, thinking about all the things you could do with just a sensor. Like for a long time, I had no idea uh, you can you can sense gravity like the bit just yeah. ba- by the way that the sensor actually like measures forces and acceleration. Technically, gravity is an acceleration or it's a force, or you can measure yeah. an acceleration because it's some force. So just like that idea and using that to like figure out, uh, which is like one of the main components in, in uh, figuring out what orientation the sensor's in. But it's just mind blowing, the things like uh, the math that goes behind it. It is, it's pretty wild. And like, so hopefully everyone had a uh, calculus. Um, I know you guys definitely did, but um, you know, the, the um, it's all just an integration, right? Like if we know the acceleration and we know the velocities and we're trying to get to position, we just have to integrate to get to position, which comes with a couple questions, right? Like we have a couple unknowns around like the exact starting position. We use player height. We use a bunch of studies that we've done to determine what we expect a starting height is, but not everyone's hands start in the same location. Um, so you can fool any sensor um, if you if you change the general starting height of your hands and you start real low and then swing high, like it's going to look like it's above your head. If you start high and then just drop and then swing low, it's going to look like this giant J because yeah. um, there has to be some assumptions around that. Yeah, that's what I was curious to ask you next, like a little bit. Uh, and I don't know how many of our viewers will have kept up with the sensor conversation on the technicalities, but from, from a practical point of view, what are some of the things that you feel you might not have known coming in, but you learned through trial and error with DK. Like what are, like you mentioned one of them, the difficulty in, uh, you know, maybe seeing, maybe correctly labeling the start of the swing. What what are some other ones that you feel like after a couple of years working on it, um, you you have a much better idea or you've kind of like worked, work solutions around. Um, The one, let's see. The one that struck me, the one that has been interesting um, is just exactly the the waggle that mm-hmm. some players have prior to the swing. I know you guys are familiar with um, how we've worked on that uh, over time, but there's a lot that is surprising on um, just how much waggle there is or can be and how when you need to sense that uh, gravity very precisely, that can be very, very challenging. Um, so there's methods and ways to do that using the sensor data over time. Sometimes you need a longer buffer. What do you do on the sensor versus what do you do on the phone or mobile device that's connected? Um, And those are some uh, interesting things that we've been playing with recently around how we can work through some of that waggle uh, and that real starting position, uh, the starting position assumptions. That's probably been the, the most, I would say, most surprising. Yeah, I, feel like, I feel like uh, troubleshooting wise, uh, you, you you just like never know what's what's going to be a problem until it's actually uh, a problem. And so yeah. you have to wait till you like encounter those to realize like, oh, that's going to be 
that's going to be an issue. Well, testing is a huge thing that we do. So, I mean, we don't put anything out there without testing it very thoroughly, right? We do our own and we've had to, maybe one of the other things that's most surprising is just how much we do around validation of our own data prior to releasing. Um, but then yeah, to your point, Anthony, like when, when you just get out there and you see the data that people are sending back, like, oh man, I would have never thought that they would have done it that yeah. way. Or like um, one of the things that we've seen recently with um, our new mounts, you can actually put the sensor in upside down. People do that. Like, oh, <laughs> of course they would, right? Like, yeah, yeah. But uh, we just didn't test for it. And yeah. there's so many interesting things like that that just come back and you go, oh man, like we have done so much around testing. Um, we have, we've done like a whole big, uh, computer vision workup around how do we, like when we put out the spin axis of the ball and we say, Hey, you know, the, the spin axis is this and the spin efficiency is that, mm -hmm. how do we know, right? We compare it to a bunch of other data sources. Um, what do we do when we don't agree with that other data source, right? Yeah. Like there's a lot that we have to do to unpack that. Okay. Immediately we assume we're wrong. How did we do like, okay, all right, check this, check that. All right. If it's still checking out, what do we do? We turn to high speed video, right? Same thing, same thing you guys use yeah. for a lot of your analysis. So we start unpacking that and then just start, but then we need to do it in bulk. So that ends up being a pretty interesting challenge that we've had is just how much testing we build out around putting products like this out. Yeah. 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 Even, even from a, like a software or like research analytics point of view, like when we started releasing our own tools and reports out to third parties, we'd already done a bunch of testing internally. But yeah, once you just get any combination of data or, or third parties trying to use it in interesting ways, you can never predict like what's, uh, what's going to be an issue. I've had so many yeah. comments back and forth of like Jeremy Tech Teal or our track uh, customer facing representative who will like DM me a, a bug and I'll just look at it and I'll be like, this isn't a bug, but uh, I, I should get an error message or something because this person yeah. is really misusing the tool, but that's not a, that's right, not a bug. So Anthony, so you started to, and, and this is what got me chatting in, uh, on your last podcast, 54, um, just around like, you know, you change one small thing in an experiment, you change the location of some sensor on a body or some marker, uh, and even just like repeatability, you, without the exact same assumptions or the exact same coordinate sets or, yeah. you know, all these like so definitional work that is just the tedious work too, right? It's not the glamorous, sexy stuff. It's the... Okay, well, what was your axis? Okay, which is X, which is which Y? Okay, what units were you using? What kind of Euler rotation? Right? Like all of that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then what did you, what sample rate did yeah. you use? Like we were talking about, um, you know, even approach angle. Yeah. Um, like, oh, okay. Oh, interesting. If you filter it at 240 frames per second versus we're sampling it at 3000, okay, that's going to look like this. Oh, okay, that's why. Yeah. Right. Just all these interesting particulars of it. How do you how do you guys approach that? I'm interested yeah. as a as a viewer and and as an outsider to driveline. Like, you have an interesting problem set there. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll, I'll say I was actually going to bring this up too because it, it's pretty like even in terms of going into testing, uh, I think that's honestly a, a good place to start with it. Is like, what do you test against? Uh, like, what are you? What's kind of like the the gold standard establishing that, like, why is it the gold standard? You know, like, how do we even know that that's accurate kind of a thing? Uh, and moving from there, I'll say that like, as far as what we do internally, um, you know, the best practice is just like rigorously document everything that you do. Uh, yeah. and really it's one of the biggest failures of 
um, research publications where you don't get like the full scope of the methodology and you're only limited to the abstract because if you don't mm-hmm. know within the methods how they're procedurally going through uh, data processing and analysis, it's really tough to know like results and discussion wise what's actually going on. There's just like so many immediate follow-up questions that I have yeah. when I when I read a paper, it's like, okay, you guys said you saw this, you know, kinematic velocity or whatever. Well, I mean, first of all, how are you measuring that? What's like the marker set, the model filtering, all of those questions immediately come up. Yeah. And it's, it's like it's, a whole it's Q&A a, section. Yeah, it's a disservice to not have uh, like a standards guide where we can just say we followed, you know, this yeah. uh, this protocol so that everyone's on the same page. It, it's Sample at this tough. rate, filter this way, even like which filtering method are you going to use? Uh, yeah. You know, a sliding window. Okay, well, how big is your sliding window yep. uh, to average that? Uh, oh no, you're not going to do a sliding window because it has this introduces this phase delay. Okay, interesting. Yep. What are you using? <laughs> using this? Yep. Just wild stuff. It's t- it's it's so tough too, especially in baseball when like a lot of people in the space don't have a background in like uh, academia, research, science, etc. So like they're told you can go and read uh papers you know you can just go read like peer-reviewed papers and like gain information and then they read one paper it says one thing they read another paper it says another (laughs) thing completely different like methodologies process like ways of going about processing and then you say and then you have to like tell them you're like oh well there's a lot of nuances and limitations with both of these like you got to go deeper than just looking at the results you know sentence in the abstract it's it's definitely tough so was was that a surprising part of your guys's job Right. So, you know, knowing your backgrounds and where you guys came from um, and you've been living in the driveline world for so long, like is is the communication to coaches the, the trickiest aspect or the, the most surprising out of your job? Or are there other things that have you know caught you by surprise from what you thought it would be to where it is now? I say that the <laughs> communication with coaches wise, uh, it's it's uh it's very frustrating on their end and you can like immediately mm. see how frustrating it gets. Cause you, you, they'll, they'll come to you. You'll like have a conversation. You'll explain like, well, not quite. Here's why here's some things. And it can just be like very disheartening to like people that are trying, which is why it's super frustrating within this technology space, how it's become like saturated with companies that like don't test, don't have robust like validity, you know, uh, testing and whatnot. And just seeing them, put stuff out, sell it to these coaches who are like really adamant about trying to be data-driven, cutting edge. And then they get this piece of technology that doesn't measure what it's supposed to measure. And they're like, oh, well, like I'm trying here, but you yeah, know, uh, it, it can be an indictment against the entire industry too. It's such a bummer. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. That, that was one of the biggest uh, areas of growth for me, I think in, in the first, uh, I'm still trying to get better at it as well, but just describing choosing what to even bring up at all, um, choosing and then how to word that, how simple to make it. Should you say like an optical motion capture mm-hmm. uh, lab or system, or should you say a biomechanics lab, you know? Uh, so like there's, I think there there's a spot for all of the details. And I think um, it's really hard to, to try to figure out when, when to leave those out, when to br- introduce them because you're running the risk of just losing whoever your audience is. Yeah. Um, if if it's uh, coaches. Yeah, that's a good point. I was just going to say sometimes uh, the, the three of you guys probably struggle with this too, or not struggle, but 
get faced with it. If you go too detailed almost to to a kind of casual consumer, they'll they'll just like disengage and and, and like almost assume like whatever you're saying doesn't make any sense mm. just because you know it's like it's like one thing to write it out like put it out in, in a in a paper and actually one of my first big projects when i started working at driveline was uh putting out some of our initial uh peer-reviewed papers like i had one on kettlebell on emg activation uh, holding a kettlebell carry and, and I, I knew very little about emg i i, I did a, a some research on the statistical analyses a portion of it and i dropped like i think i had a fourth order butterworth filter uh, 10 Hertz for the low end cutoff, 450 for the high end cutoff, like all, all, all these details. And like, I'd only, I, I was like learning them as I was putting the paper together. Um, and obviously like the majority of people just wanted to know like what, what seemed to activate, like, you know, more neuromuscular activation. And then I had one guy, uh, shout out Andrew Vygotsky, who, who has a number of papers out who like just emailed me. It was like, why'd you do like a fourth order Butterworth instead of like <laughs> fifth order? And I was like, I just read up another paper. I, I, was, I was like, I'd yeah. love to have this conversation, but like, yeah, but, but, but the fact that like I even put it out there, at least like allowed him to ask the question and, and have a yeah. conversation where obviously no coaches are going to care what, what order Butterworth filter I used. No, for sure. Yeah. We just hired somebody, uh, just a couple weeks ago, uh, another PhD out of Pitt and who is just going through all these primary sources, uh, just picking apart questions like that. Well, why? And then going through our code base too. Okay. Why third here? And why'd you use a third order? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Felt felt. Okay. I see you're doing it for phase delay, but why didn't you just do it this way? I'm like, oh, okay, man. I don't know. That's great. Actually. And then <laughs> obviously I don't know, but, um, Min Min, uh, Dr. Min Min Zhang, uh, our lead R and D scientist does, and like they get into it and it's just so fun to listen to. Yeah. Yeah. It, that, that's super valuable. Yeah, I, I was going to say that like, uh, Caravan's point brought up something that like I thought of, uh, quite a bit now too especially at driveline i mean it happens internally more so it happens with like you know uh blog writing or going into a a a study it's really weird that um you know we'll work on peer-reviewed studies for the for the sake of like science and research but the majority of our readers will be like baseball people right like Mm -hmm. and so uh, especially in blogs, even in, you know, on Twitter and whatnot, you kind of have to like balance communicating to them, but also <laughs> be ready to get heat checked by the expert, yeah. you know? Right. So, so yeah. it's like one of the, this level yeah, and this level. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So you're like, you're writing for that. I mean, I've, I thought about it too at like, uh, ABCA or maybe like past winter meetings. I, I, I feel like uh caravan probably went through something similar, but you know, you're, you're in a room with these people, you're talking to like the coaches, uh, coordinators, and you're giving some like very, like very topical surface level stuff. And then like an analyst pops in with like a, a super direct, like <laughs> what type of model are you using? You know, that type yeah. of thing. It's like, okay, <laughs> we're going to have to completely turn this conversation. <laughs> and these, yeah. these people are going to check out kind of a thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Pause. <laughs> so I was saying, um, oh, I think, so as a vendor or as somebody, you know, playing in this space, um, it, you are, you're doing all the hard work of aggregating all of that, right? You drive line. Um, I choose my coordinate systems for like sensor convenience, not for like an analysis convenience. Mm-hmm. You're choosing it for analytical convenience and how it's going to relate to the end user. So we should, we vendors should probably all be playing in your space. Um, and I would, I would welcome, um, a driveline, you know, Hey, sample at this hurts. Uh, well, 
at least coordinate systems and, yeah. you know, where you sample along the bat. And when, you, you know, we talk yeah. about, and I know blast and time kinetics are completely different there in terms of where we sample on the bat and a couple other uh, concepts and metrics, I'm very happy to, to understand better and like have that at least put out there mm-hmm. so I can play in that standard or not. Um, I think that would help you and it would help a lot of other coaches too, in, in terms of like appreciating and ingesting all that data. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it definitely so uh, on that end. Um, I mean, we mentioned it before, but like the, I think the biggest application and, and it, it's it's so important on the biomechanics end, and it's getting even more and more important with like the more popularization. But just things like a quick guide that says like this is zero degrees of elbow flexion yeah. and this right. is ninety. You know, like right. that's that's what and we're gonna go with two seventy or yeah. negative ninety yeah. or, or negative ninety exactly. Yeah, yeah, like. Same. Those type of things are going to be huge, I think. Mm-hmm. If you guys haven't uh, checked it out yet on Plus, we have a biomechanics mini course that defines, <laughs> oh, <laughs> defines yeah. uh, oh, nice. our most our most popular uh, kinematics and, and kinetics and defines those things. But but yeah, isn't that what uh, ABS is ABS is hoping to do in in the in the long term as well? Yeah, it's one of the first things that uh, that was brought up. Um, I mean, I, I really hope we do push towards. Uh, some initiatives like that. I think like, you know, driveline, we're, we're kind of in a unique spot uh, with already working with a lot of players, like have a good idea in terms of that communication. Cause the way that that goes poorly is if uh, someone puts out like a standard that like no one else is following, you know, like coaches are, (laughs) coaches aren't going to change uh, the definition of something just because some like, you know, yes. entity comes in and is like, no, 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 no that's, that's 90 degrees, uh, you know, yeah. or, or whatever. Listen, man, yeah, I don't, I don't like uh, spin efficiency, but like it's here to stay. I think at this point, like, exactly. You know, th- I mean, there no, are so I'm many, not going to fight it. Yeah. That happens all the time too. Like scap retraction is a great example. I, I, I can't tell you how many tweets, uh, a year or two ago I, I put out that used the term scap retraction to describe shoulder horizontal abduction, which has nothing like very little to do with the scapula protracting and retracting and, Oof. you know, biomechanists or other sports scientists would come in and be like, how can you tell if the, the scapula is actually yeah. retracting? Do you have that in your model? Right. And it's like, right. well, every single person in the baseball world calls this scap retraction. So, and that's what I'm trying to what communicate to, you know, yeah. so, right. so it's, right. it's going to be tough. You almost need like this definition. Like this is what a biomechanist would say. This is yeah. what a physicist would say. This is what, <laughs> Baseball yeah. coaches would say, uh, have, "We could have, we could have three versions of a blog or a tweet read. One, one for each target audience. <laughs> yeah, right? That would be such. <laughs> so a, it's like a you toggle on and off. You like, yeah. 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 Imagine, Just imagine post. that is like a, a driveline baseball like Google Chrome plugin. You know, like, awesome. yeah. you can just filter. Translate this. Yeah, <laughs> this page is in coach oh, speak. Yeah. Translate it to." <laughs> The reason, the reason I'm kind of like skeptical of that ever happening anytime soon, and and you already brought up your uh, one of the trigger points that we've talked about, Mike. Yeah. But yeah, like even across pitch tracking technology, I mean, Rapsodo and Trackman ha- have opposite like pitcher catcher view on on uh, yeah, yeah. on the on the X locations. And and by the way, I don't know if you know this, uh, but uh, Tom Tango even even slid in my DMs a couple months ago. Man, he has me, he has feelings on that. Yeah, asking me, I, I think I made a comment about active spin versus spin efficiency, and he oh, yeah. me asking something about like uh, he asked me what I thought the term should be, and I said definitely <laughs> not active spin. I, I forget what I said, 
Oh, I think that's the wrong answer for Tom. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I was, I was pushing for a spin efficiency because yeah. that's uh, that was, you know, for better or for worse, that seems like it was the first term pushed out there, and it's 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 a term where like the first main pitch tracking technology that put it out there, like Rapsodo, at least popularized it, yeah. was using that. So, so that makes sense. And then he had some he had some odd answer about saying just they didn't like spin efficiency. So it, it's kind of it's kind of stuck if MLB. I mean, at least in yeah, that context, yeah. if MLB itself is like putting active spin on their leaderboards, while like the consumers using the products are not referring to as, as that, uh, yeah, then it's kind of a, kind of a kind of, honestly, yeah, kind of a kind of a standoff. Yeah, I know that's it's it's tricky and tough, and I don't uh, you know I don't envy coaches that are coming into that for the very first time um, as much as much as industry players can like i'll try to standardize on terms i'll try to get it into a language right like we have yeah. metrics you know like we have extra metrics behind the metrics yeah. right we have all yeah. these all this instantaneous data i can present the this data in a number of different ways how yeah. do you want it to come up it's kind of interesting those are also tough questions to ask if you're a coach you know yeah. like simple definitions it's like you don't want to feel like you're you're like behind the loop or wrong yeah. or like you don't know enough. It's like, what's uh, spin efficiency? It's like, I, I imagine there's a lot of people that are uncomfortable actually asking somebody that and getting a, getting a good answer for that. Percent of active spin, bro. That's what's <laughs> yeah. percentage of con- Percentage of spin that would contribute to break. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or the percentage of spin in a, yeah. 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 I get it. About it. After after getting a little bit more into uh, the pitch, pitching metrics and measurements, what are you most excited about between the pitch tracker and the swing tracker? Oh man, um, it's like choosing your favorite kid. Um, it's tough. <laughs> you uh, answer that say, next. That's my next question. <laughs> yeah, right. Favorite drawing <laughs> on the wall. Who's, who's got the nicest handwriting? Yeah. Um, so I, there's there is there. There's a lot of data behind both pitch tracker and swing tracker. I think there's more to be done on top of pitch tracker data presently um, that I'm very excited about. Um, there's a lot for swing tracker and looking at things in aggregate, um, like our swing fingerprint in particular. We can look at that and then see how you know that would line up with how does your swing fingerprint line up and help you with your approach to the plate, with your training, with how you might line up against a particular pitcher. Um, the pitch tracker itself, you know, we have we have all of the motion because we're an IMU. We have all of that motion prior to release, so from set all the way through release. And there are uh, there's more to be done there for for tells for you know this this great arms race between pitchers and hitters. Um, that um, I'm happy to be the arms dealer on both sides for, for both pitchers and hitters. Um, but pitch tracker, I think in particular has just a lot to do. I think it can be in service of a number of um, R and D organizations and academia then as well, right? Like I want to open up our data set a little bit more um, so that people can do cool new and novel work um, on, on top of that, right? We've done some work with Barton Smith who's been on your show before yeah. um, around his seam shifted wake. And I'm, I'm happy to say that I, I wanted to help immediately. I think what he's doing is really cool. There's a lot of really interesting things that we found about the ball that I'm interested at picking at. Mm-hmm. interested in picking at um, just weird data sets and things I wasn't expecting and uh, asymmetric forces that shouldn't be there. Seam shifted wake, I think is one of them. So there's a lot there to, to pick at and ball flight. 
for as simple as it is and as solved as I thought it was when I started with Pitch Tracker a couple of years ago to where I'm at now with, well, there's actually a lot of nuance here. And this is a really simplified model. And, and man, if somebody like Barton could come around and like, okay, now we, now we need, we can account for the seams. Like there's a lot that we can do there. Now, what is that going to contribute to uh, the actual movement of the ball? I mean, Let's look at what Barton's publishing on Seam Shifted Wake. I think there's a lot there. I think there's strikes to be had and there's wins to be had uh, around chasing that. So I do get excited about what can come from Pitch Tracker. I think there are surprisingly – more people need to be paying attention to that in particular. Oh, yeah. That's very interesting. Do you think there are, are uh, exciting integrations that you, you'd like to, like to push for off the bat too? Like if there are things where – um, for example, uh, we, we don't report on like hand or arm path uh, yeah. as like as much as we could. We describe some arm positions and we call them arm ac- arm action metrics. Um, yeah. But are there are there things where you can combine your, for example, pre pitch uh, hand movement or ball movement with yeah. another technology, or or what do you think is most exciting there? So I mean, I know. Um... Harold Mazingo is looking into ground forces. Um, there's a couple other people, like, I mean, a bunch of people are looking into ground forces, but it, like marrying up different distinct data sets is going to be where a lot of new research comes and where a lot of new gains come, I think, right? Because we've been looking at this stuff for some time. Now, how do we match that up? So, you know, we've been pushing to make it very easy via our, via our API to integrate Diamond Kinetics Tech with other other companies so that you can see and play, right? So that's where track would come in. You can start to see all that and put it together. Um, and yeah, whether it's ground forces or exactly what the fingers are doing at release and marrying that up with Edratronics and like all of these other interesting things you can do in both swing tracker and pitch tracker. Uh, yeah, there's there's a lot in whether we're marrying with other technologies or it's DK trying to, to push forward into new areas and new avenues. Um, yeah, there's a there's a lot to be done there. The one I'll do a quick little shout out because we're we're launching. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen the the win the win VR and win reality. I've seen a little bit. Yeah, I've seen I've seen a couple of videos, but I haven't seen it uh, well, demo or anything. So we're gonna see a click on I'm ready, and he takes a swing. There's a swing. It goes so fast. So, oh wow. oh wow! Right, so you can actually see it in VR. Now it's oh. it looks pretty cool here, right? Like, and he yeah. sort of skips through, but like to see this in an immersive thing is yeah. wild. Um, so I'm very excited about what Win and DK are doing here. And there's a yeah. bunch of these, like, man, that's awesome, right? But if you look at the Oculus Quest, right, and the, the controllers, so I've got, you know, a, it's not on here now, but, yeah, um, you know, that strap, the controllers can't sample or are not sampling fast enough. They're sampling um, optically, and we are sampling with those IMUs. So we can combine those two optical, the optical and the IMU, and then come out with something like that and then yeah. really see the swing and then feel it around you. It's just wild. So, you know, it's, it's still in a beta, but um, there's a lot coming out around that. Wait, so just a follow up on that. So is application someone so you have VR and DK link so someone can take a swing, see their bat swing path, and also get like a bat speed reading? Bat speed is, is reading, that, like, yeah. They have they have all of our metrics, right? So okay. we 
share that via our API, as you guys know, and there's yeah. a lot that they can do. Obviously, they have all of the positional information because we're sharing that with them enough to, to draw that 3D and they, um, you don't see it there. That's in the calibration section right now. We're, we're working on uh, getting that fully released, but you'll be able to see that like glowing uh, barrel speed on your mm -hmm. bat and it looks really cool and you can see where the ball would have gone. Wow. So it's it's really great. And that's been fun for, for me living in uh, Pittsburgh. It was pretty cold winter, uh, but my kids have been taking swings and that's really neat. They're taking yeah. swings in my garage um, <laughs> or in my bedroom sometimes. Yeah. They haven't hit anything. That's why it's a wiffle ball bat, but... <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's awesome. so cool. Wow. That's uh, the the swing fingerprints exciting uh, to me because I feel like there's a lot of things even in pitching, but but hitting especially because we we're using such a I mean a long extended object. Like as far as like knowing where the bat head is is probably so tough for a lot of people, especially less trained hitters. So being able to be in that VR space and take a swing and then see like okay that felt like this. And this is where the bat head was at the beginning of my swing when I was coming into the, yeah. the hitting zone is something that I think is, uh, could really, really improve, uh, things like swing design sessions and, and people trying to overhaul their swing. Yeah. Speaking of different, uh, different bat heads, I, I, I was curious, how do you, how would you say you approach like, um, different size bats and different, different weights of bats as well when it comes to, representing like some, some standard metrics. Cause that, that's one thing that I think whether naively or not, some people may have may, may wonder about how like certain technologies like metrics extrapolate to youth populations or using different mm -hmm. size bats, um, th things like that. Yeah. So that's interesting. We, the, the couple things that we do that would extrapolate down to like youth or smaller bats or into overload or underload. Yeah. Um, the, you know, we say that the sweet spot of the barrel of the bat is 80% of the length. Um, from a couple studies, it seems to be largely hold. Um, we we're trying to do that based on vibrational analysis of a couple different bats. Um, does it scale? We think so. Um, there hasn't been a whole lot of study on that that I know of around youth, but uh, around like 33, 30, around the anywhere between 33 inches and 30 inches um, is where a lot of the study's been and on wood. Um, but I mean, Alan Nathan is an advisor of ours and is, was comfortable with us saying 80%. Um, Dr. Buddy Clark, you know, was the one who started on that. And then, you know, our overload and underload, the MOI, the moment of inertia of the bat, like how hard it is to rotate, uh, changes drastically with overload and underload. We can feel it when it's in our hands as, as players. Um, but what that translates to in terms of a number, a metric is that MOI, that mass moment of inertia. And when we do know it from the bat manufacturer, especially for overload and underload, um, we put that in and that will change the metrics drastically. So make sure you put in your, the right length and weight, your little plug, right? put, put in the right length and weight of the bat, uh, if, especially if you're using one of those overload or underloads. That actually, that, that reminds me of uh, something I thought about um, quite a while ago, which uh, is actually going to come up pretty soon because we're, <laughs> we've had a few open uh, technology validation papers that we're, we're finally getting back into. Uh, oh, yeah. We're, we're finally publishing. Uh, well, we hit you about a, about almost a year ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so we'll hopefully uh, be, be actually like uh, writing those and, and getting those out. Um, but one of the things when I was going through processing uh, all that data was, I mean, first, as we talked about, going around and asking a bunch of people like, hey, how do you calculate this? And where are these calculations taken from? 
And I, mm-hmm. I, I thought the, the bat speed uh, location one was always an interesting one. Um, obviously, Blast doing the, the six inches. You guys do the 80%. Um, you know, one thing I thought of through that, because I had conversations with Dan when we were looking at the uh, validations about does that make sense uh, compared to the motion capture lab? And then looking at like Nathan's, you know, like uh, mm-hmm. the, the uh, I don't even remember what that coefficient is, but the coefficient for like um, Rest. how yeah. it comes off the bat and coefficient of restitution. Yeah, I think it's I think it's that because it's pairing like the the bat speed and the exit velocity, like what yeah. that yeah. that yeah. ratio can kind of be. Um, but the, the the more I was thinking of it and looking at the data, like as you adjust that landmark location where you choose to uh, calculate bat speed, the speed mm-hmm. of the object changes, which should also change the exit velocity. Right. If that's standardized, uh, I mean, is it possible that you have like a person who, two people with the same bat speed, one person makes all of their contact three inches down the bat further. Those are different, like measured, different. measured yeah. same bat speed in the instance, yep. but different actual speed at contact. Uh, and is there any way to like, I mean, I don't even know if there's a way to solve that problem, but how, uh, significant could, could those like effects be, I guess. Um, I don't think I have a good feel for exactly how significant, I mean, I, I know that it will translate into, uh, plus or minus tens of feet, uh, in terms of travel distance. Um, you know, I'm pretty comfortable saying something like that, um, we think we could potentially measure it. There's something there. That's that's where the vibrational uh, piece would be very interesting. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, exactly where you measure it does have an effect. And, and you know, whether you're trying to, also if you're just trying to pump somebody up, you're like, hey, measure it right at the tip of the bat. Yeah. And like, oh man, that's a great number. But it's less, it is not as, uh, is not what, what actually uh, contributed. So, you know, and, and the interesting thing is, like, okay, you go towards the tip of the bat and the number goes up. You, you know, come towards the hands and the number goes down. Um, but where where are you going to maximize your travel distance? And at mm-hmm. what angle are you going to maximize? It's what everyone's chasing, right? Yeah. Um, can we measure it? Can we help inform that? Um, yes, in some cases. And like the coefficient of restitution and like we can try as hitters and we can try as coaches to like teach to, to hit, but like at the end of the day, like, this is crazy ball screaming at you. You got to make contact with wood. It's, it's just a great game. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot so, of fun to watch too. So I guess, uh, I mean, along those lines, like one thing, um, you know, we're, we're putting some finishing touches on, uh, like building out a more robust, uh, hitting motion capture assessment. Um, using the, the biomechanics lab. And, and one thing I've thought of because we have the ability to calculate bat speed at the, you know, 80% distance on mm-hmm. the bat. Um, but a more, I guess, like, it just seems to make more sense to use a, um, a rotational, uh, like an angular velocity as opposed to like a bat speed. The linear? Yeah, yeah. Um, just because you eliminate that, right? Like the, where you kind of like m- make contact on the bat, um, the, the six inches problem or the 80% distance problem. Yeah, so this gets back to, so I'll draw an analogy, an analogous back to pitch tracker, right? So one of the things that we thought about doing, um, so right now everyone talks about break in terms of like number of inches, um, horizontal and vertical break. Well, 
you know, if you just pitch slower, you get bigger break numbers. Right. Um, so if you pitch faster, those numbers tighten up, but if you spin the ball more, obviously, right. So what you're really controlling is the force, but we don't talk about the force acting on the ball. Um, like I like that. It is a much better way to talk about it, but we, we just don't, I don't know. Um, we talk about it in terms of, and we get questions on that all the time. Okay. Obviously the ball is wrong and the calculations are wrong. You just told me my son has like a a 30 inch, uh, break. Okay. We, your son's pitching a little bit slower, but, um, (laughs) Uh, and that's a tough thing you, know, you have to have that conversation, but, um, then, um, you know, similar thing, right. We're talking, we're talking about the linear rate of the sweet spot of the barrel of the bat, because that is what directly correlates to that yeah. exit velocity then too. Um, I definitely like, and there is, when we deal with uh, a lot of MLB teams, right. They are thinking about, they might be thinking about, Hey man, we really got to work on rotational velocity. Yeah. Cool. Right. Diamond Kinetics is happy to help on things like that. We have all that information and I could present it that way if that's the way that Driveline teaches. Right. If, if that's the way that, you know, some other organization teaches. Um, all of this information, all of this positional, how do we talk about it? How do we put it into things that we can understand as humans? How do we into things that we can communicate as, as coaches to other people? And how do we coach and think about it? Right. If yeah. this matters, is there a signal there? That's where you guys would come in and be like, cool. Yeah. If we think about it in terms of rotational and we do it, uh, you know, is this statistically significant for exit velocity? Let's, let's pull this back. Right. Yeah. Um, is that maybe a better measure to, to go with? Those are all fun. I love it. <laughs> uh, by, by the way, Mike, I don't know if you've read it or seen it, but there's a really good white paper that came out pretty recently from uh, Glenn Healy called Analyzing the Side Force on a Baseball Using Hawkeye Measurement. Uh, and, and I think I think uh, co-author is Laquan Wang. I think they're both professors at UCI. I, I, can, I can link it in the description of this video. Yeah, yeah. They're both, uh, I think they're presenting on it at, at Sabre this nice. year. So that'll be like in three days. Yeah. But, um, I, th- I think he tries parsing out like the lift and side force on a baseball, uh, especially like with, you know, like Hawkeye measurements there to give mm-hmm. a better difference between inferred and observed spin axis, which, which is a yeah. whole nother can of worms we, we could spin a podcast on. Well, I mean, but, uh, yeah, we can talk about like, is that a constant force, right? You're assuming it's a constant. Once yeah. you get to that aggregated data, was it constant? You know, yeah. does it change? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But, but, but yeah, I was going to say that's, that's a, that's a really interesting conversation and, and very relevant to, you know, baseball research right now. So, mm-hmm. so I thought I'd give it a shout out and a uh, nice. potential drop. Yeah, go something. to Sabre. Everyone go to Sabre. Oh, yeah. The thing I was going to say as a, as a funny side note is uh, I may have told the story in the podcast before, but early on, a coach actually reached out to me from listening to the podcast and I had referenced some kind of makeshift equation to convert bat speed to exit velocity Nothing extremely precise, but it's a, a rough back of yeah. napkin calculation yeah. since they have the high correlation usually. And obviously I was basing that off of mostly paired blast and hit tracks data. Yep. So we're talking bat speeds between like 50 and 75, maybe up to 80. And, um, you know, like for, for, all, for all intents and purposes, you can just imagine like the equation could be like 1.2 times bat speed plus some yeah. constant. Yep. And, uh, and he emails me and he goes, um, yeah, like I, I coach some some youth kids, might need some help on kind of like we only have we, we're a low budget. We don't really have anything besides like some sensors, but the the bass speed exit velocity equation. I think I'm doing it wrong because I'm getting uh, our 14 year olds are like 
supposedly hitting a ball 180 miles an hour. Oh. And I was like, I was like, oh, that's weird. Like, shoot me over the workbook or shoot me over like whatever you're doing, figuring like it might be like a typo in there. And he shoots it over and he has these 14 year olds swinging like 105 miles an hour. <laughs> and I'm like, I was like, what sensor is this? And he goes, Garmin. And I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah, I think I heard, yeah, jeez. I'm not, I'm not here to trash other companies, but yeah, the, yeah, that's, that's not, that's not real. <laughs> and, you know, a lot of that can happen, right? You get like a loose sensor something weird happens. You'll get an outlier too. Right. So I think yeah, they measure so, from the end too. That's what I was going to say. Like, they, they, I mean, I, I don't, I didn't do much research. I was just like, oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Clearly the equation is going to be a little bit different based on where you measure it. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, then, and then I also forget, I also forget like some other, some other company, some other third-party vendor uh, that I met ABCA in 2020 was showing me their uh, bat speed tracker. And it, it only tracked bat speed. You kind of like set it up a couple feet away from you and you just have the swing like in front of it and it would track mm-hmm. it. And they were just, um, they were talking about how it tracks at the, at the end of the bat and saying like, yeah, go ahead, take these products, like validate them, whatever. But I just remember thinking, I was like, man, even if this was like 100% accurate, how are we going to tell everyone you're swinging 105 miles an hour <laughs> when they've spent years in gym training and have an idea of their bat speed between like, like at 65, yeah. how are we going to tell them, Hey man, you swing the bat 107. Great job. <laughs> like, let's train. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyways, wanted, wanted to share that, uh, you know, speaking of like standardization of where to, where to measure, where to measure bat speed on a bat. Yeah. Um, did, did you want to get into some of the questions you had uh, on the biomix side of things for us or just overall? Uh, uh, yeah, go ahead. Some of the questions you, you, you kind of jotted down before the podcast. Yeah, we actually touched on a couple of them. Um, the. So I'm interested in how you guys are approaching the data sync, because I know you're building out amazing biomech labs uh presently i think so and anthony you and i were joking last time we were chatting um just like there's a bunch of logistical challenges around synchronizing all of that what helps like hey as a vendor a captive audience here what helps um how do how do you do that sync uh, across all of those because one will miss and like others will pick it up and yeah so there's a well I'm sure Caravan has some stuff too, like more on the technical side, but obviously like, you know, timestamps in the metadata, but having, having the ability um, to log in real time and immediately adjust data points, uh, I think would honestly help, hmm. help so much. Like one of the things right now uh, with, with hit tracks is not being able to log a swing and a miss uh, kind of a thing, uh-huh. you know? So like if yeah. you don't make contact, you don't put the ball in play. It's not there. Um, yeah. So so, so just, just like empty. Yeah, like minor problems like that. Just to be able to um, denote immediately in real time something that happened that maybe doesn't matter for your piece of technology, but is relevant to what other technologies world. could be recording. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think that would be you know big. I'm, I'm sure Caravan has some more uh, like technical. You know like. Mm. actual actual pairings maybe standardizations there yeah i, I was going to volunteer i mean one of the things we do and, and by the way mike I, I think we might have mentioned this but we've really spent like quite a bit of time in the last year um like on just standardizing everything like versioning yeah. pipelines versioning databases so like a, like a pretty big project honestly for all, all, all three of us was 
putting together all our biomech pipelines into like a structured SQL database that updates constantly has, well, we pull like general population cohort averages, all mm-hmm. this stuff, just linking everything up because in the past we had like so many, so many like floating parts to it that it was, it was a lot trickier, I think, than we expected going in. I, I know, I know Lindley and I <laughs> went back and forth on, yeah. on a bunch of, bunch of bugs multiple times, but, but like one of the things we do, uh, we have like point of interest, uh, uh, data points that we have in one certain table and then we also have like our full signal table and right now we have 300 frames um, point of interest is like point in the swing or the event or yeah like, yeah, just like foot plant single time uh, lead okay. knee high single point contact etc yeah versus yeah. the entire da- the, the full time series data set yep yeah cool. and, right. and we log we logged a full time uh data series as well in, in, a, in a separate table it, it, you know increasingly becomes more and more of a uh, you know, of, of a huge data set and, yeah, and something massive. I, should, I should probably revisit at some point from a processing speed point of view. But, I have uh, thoughts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm down, I'm down chat about that for sure. But about right now we do like 300 frame, uh, yeah, 300 frames for the full signal. Um, so even, even that is, is something that I, I, I think going forward, I don't know, I don't know what you guys think, but like when it comes to comparing full signal data, it like the more you have to, you know, extrapolate certain points and then and then have to have to like cross check when you measure foot plant when you measure ball release when you measure yeah. knee, knee height like what what events do you sync up to have mm-hmm. those 200 frames in between all, all, all that stuff is probably super pivotal and yeah. like yeah th- i mean th- like we, when we were synchronizing our data sets yeah. we thought like oh man impact that'll be easy right yeah okay. yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah and even even something that seems as simple like the, when i first started at driveline I just like I heard uh, ball release. We have all these we have all these metrics about positions at ball release. And it's just like okay, well, we're not actually yeah. measuring anything about ball release. Yeah. <laughs> and the standard oh, really? is the standard is like basically a an offset of a position. So yeah. it's just like uh, <laughs> there, there's a bunch of those that I'm actually finding right now. I'm comparing two different types of or like two different measurements of data that are both uh, in time series format mm-hmm. and. What I've found, and I've done it in the past, and it, it just uh, basically synchronizing by peaks and troughs is something mm-hmm. that's super, super uh, like. It seems to be robust and easy enough, like good balance there um, to to compare data sets. Which I don't know if that's what you were you were getting at, Caravan, but like you don't have to worry about the events and how they're defined if you just compare the whole signal. Um, yeah. To to one yeah. another, so. Yeah, yeah, I, I meant I meant make, making that clear, like in between, like, like, uh, yeah, like a, a third party uh, data right. set or something. Yeah, I mean that's how we do some of the alignment with uh, with, with win reality there, uh, the peaks and the troughs there. We call that it's a cross correlation. Uh, Honestly, you know what you know what would be the most <laughs> the most helpful is uh, I know that there's um, there's like an open source software out there called uh, LSL um lab lab streaming layer uh i think it like originally came out from uh ucsd and they're like uh some some bio lab that they have but basically uh the the goal was to be able to like real time uh synchronize uh data streams from like multiple technologies like motion capture lab eeg headset Mm -hmm. gaze tracking imus emgs all of that and so Right now, it, it sources like every technology that you can think of, and if you release like a new EEG headset, 
Um, you basically, if you want it to get purchased, you need to integrate it with this lab streaming layer and make sure that it kind of works. I mean, if there was, if there was like an open source, uh, platform, cause, cause I think what it does is first of all, you synchronize all of the technologies to this, and then it sends out like data points and returns them. And it automatically adjusts for the offset in signal uh, uh, from those like pieces to of align. technology. Yeah. And so it automatically aligns them. And then you can like start a session for your like, uh, you know, research yeah, protocol, everything. which is huge for them because uh, especially with like EEG data, you need like very synchronized um, yeah. data points. And more and more they're doing like experiments and research using multiple technologies at once, trying to just get more data. Um, so I think it's pretty far fetched to imagine that on the, on the baseball end, but the, the more that companies, I guess, could start to like, you know, build their stuff with that in mind, the ability to potentially like, okay, tap into their data stream in real time. And I can pull this one in, you know, I don't even know what that looks like, but I know that that's how, uh, they, they've started to solve that, um, in okay. like other, you know, research fields. That's pretty wild. Yeah, we should talk about that some more. I yeah. like that. Um, cool. So, yeah, the a couple other questions I had for you guys were around, like, um, so people just getting started out. I know you're doing a lot of hiring. Um, you've been public about it, which is great, and I love seeing that. Yeah. Um, and sort of for the people that are just getting started, like, what are the publicly available data sets that are out there that, you know, are worth other people's time to get into, right? Like I'm interested in putting something out for as, as diamond kinetics. Um, I'm sure you, I know you guys already have a bunch out there. Um, but if you were to recommend to somebody else who's getting started, what publicly available data sets or how would they get started in biomechanics? Yeah. I, I know on the biomechanics end, uh, C motion has a really great, um, free, uh, educational like tutorial, that you can go through uh, with Visual 3D that can give you some insights into like signal processing, kinematics. I think all of the example files are um, are with gate specifically. Actually, mm. uh, yeah. this, <laughs> this is honestly the best uh, like resource for uh, like research methods in biomechanics. And this is actually like directly with, uh, if you get this, it comes with like a copy oh a visual, the 3D, visual 3D educational. Yeah. And there's a bunch of like resources and walkthroughs here to like learn kinematics. So it's not like that expensive. Um, but I, I definitely like, I refer back to this like all the time. Um, awesome. yeah. I, I, I can help pay for it. If you need, if you need a hand, just, just, uh, DM me on Venmo for <laughs> half of it. <laughs> that's such there a, you go. That's such a, such a good one. Yeah. Ven <laughs> Request a uh, Venmo from Alex on the baseball end though. It's, not as uh not as great uh obviously i mean we put out c3d files with all of our publications which you yeah. can get um but I, I definitely like to do do more of that kind of a thing it's also still tough though there's a lot of like to get comfortable with um like we we the, the c3ds are unprocessed uh data so we would have to it would have to be processed in a in a program like matlab or, or visual mm -hmm. 3d or something so I think there's definitely room to improve there. And I know that uh, I've talked to Joe and Anthony about it, um, getting getting a bigger table uh, type data set out there for maybe that's more like entry level uh, for somebody mm -hmm. to jump in and start just like comparing. comparing It'd be great for hiring, right? Like yeah. you put something out yeah. there, somebody does some research on top, like 
let's hire that person. <laughs> They're in. Yeah. 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 Crowd, crowdsource the research. Yeah. And hopefully you guys do a lot of really good uh, puns or jokes generally on walkthroughs of gate analysis. Oh, like, yeah. There's a lot there. Oh, I've, right? I've, I've definitely, yeah, I've seen, I've seen my good. fair Thank share you. of those. Yeah. <laughs> Appreciate it. Yeah. But, but also, also someone who's been, who's been criticized for their own gate, right, Brady? Okay. I mean, I, I have great gate patterns. I won't, I won't, I won't uh, accept that kind of slander. He does have a nice squat. He was showing me his t- pistol squat this weekend. Yeah. Unbelievable. It, yeah. If, if any listeners who haven't seen Brady in person, but do, 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 fuck, does, <laughs> I, I forgot, I forgot the verb. Modify. Yeah. The Kentucky whiskey got me. If anybody does see Brady who, uh, that hasn't previously seen him, check out his gate. Cause I often say he looks like a, uh, occasionally looks like a penguin. And I, I'd like some, uh, <laughs> I'd like some verification of that metaphor. It's, it's, it's intentionally deceptive. You know, you have to appear yeah. unathletic and then you just turn it on. You turn it on. And then you just <laughs> turn around and rip Rope it. Rope a dope, man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's Random awesome. Yeah. Like you think he doesn't walk efficiently and then he'll go drive 400 feet with his. Yeah. With his, uh, on the disc golf course. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, pu- public resource stuff, though, I, I really do wish there was more. I think uh, early on, uh, especially in the, like, last, you know, a year or two ago, that was the most yeah. common, um, like, question I got was, like, hey, uh, I'd like to learn more about baseball biomechanics and pitching biomechanics. And I'd be like, yeah, me too, honestly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Working on it. Yeah. Um, there's, like, you know, and they'd be like, is there any, like, book out there? I was like it's it's really tough i think biomechanics is especially tough because it's like it's a field underneath like a couple other fields you know so honestly like if you don't have like physics math working knowledge also like anatomy and physiology like you're gonna have a pretty tough time um like going straight into biomechanics so i usually tell people uh like general exercise science is a good place to start anatomy is super (laughs) important um i think like if you're trying to understand uh, movements without an understanding of like joints and musculature, all that, it's going to be pretty tough. And then, uh, going further, just like basic physics, uh, and math. Cause that's all it is. Like you need to understand how, um, you know, a- uh, angles are, are calculated and, and in what like planes of motion they're mm-hmm. happening in and what you're moving in. So, um, the, the hard answer for everyone is that there really isn't a like biomechanics for dummies without that doesn't at least start with like, okay, let's make sure you have fundamental anat and phys knowledge, uh, math mm-hmm. and physics, that kind of a thing. Yeah. I'm, I'm hoping, I mean, we have CMU and Pitt right here in Pittsburgh and I'm hoping to do more with their uh, sports analytics clubs. They both have very well-known sports mm-hmm. analytics yeah. clubs uh, and amazing professors there uh, on statistics and biomechanics and uh, just want to get something going with them, whether it's white papers or yeah. cleaning up a data set and getting that published uh, to for people to do interesting work, right? Yeah. Like it will help all of us all across. Yeah. Especially uh, right now, too. especially yeah. right now, like with, with the, the limited access to like in-person labs, I know that right. so many people are running into those issues. Um, data share. We, we've, we've talked about that a bunch uh, internally. We haven't, you know, moved as quickly as, as, as probably we, we should have, but yeah, doing exactly that, right? Like creating a data set, scrubbing it of of any, yeah. you know, just like anonymize it and be like, hey, here's here's what we've got. About um, it. You know, yep. like play around with it, kind of a thing. 
I'll say one other thing. We, I mean, <clears throat> yeah, it, it's, it's a tough line because it's almost some of it is we're making new data sets that we haven't like previously explored, explored ourselves a lot of the time. So we're like almost like that's the natural like path. Like we want to get the insights first or like see how useful it is, then then push it a little bit more public open source. But but we're getting to a point where it's, it's, it's I think it's like even unrealistic to expect us to get to all the interesting questions with our own data. Mm-hmm. And, and I've had I've had people email me or, you know, other people email other R&D people and I've sent them a couple uh, smaller data sets. But 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 yeah, I mean, even just after this conversation, I'm pretty motivated to to see if I can put something up on like a GitHub repo. Have to have yeah, to get some uh, permissions from uh, our CEO probably. But I don't know. I, I think I think there's a fine balance in there for sure, and, and definitely yeah, an opportunity. Mean, believe me, as a commercial entity, yeah. I completely understand. Yeah. You know, not wanting to give away competitive secrets, and but you know, at the same point, it's just good for baseball and it's good yeah. for analytics. And like, if somebody does something awesome on top of your data set again, yeah. like. Let's hire yeah. that person, whoever that yeah, is. Exactly. Like, yep. uh, sort of bidding war. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. versus DK. <laughs> yeah. no, I mean, split so, deal. I mean, We're going to get fine. a DK split deal employee. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Like 50 50. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Uh, for sure. Uh, Mike, to, to kind of finish it off, I was going to say, I, I know, uh, I, I guess I recently just found out you're actually better at volleyball than biking. But, uh, but, but, but I do want to hear, I do want to hear the biking story that, uh, you told Anthony or just your best biking story since, uh, All right, my, the best one found is, out definitely, you were. Yeah, is definitely, um, when I started getting into biking, I think the thing that really sealed it for me is on an MS 150. It's a multiple sclerosis, 150 mile bike ride split over two days, uh, good fundraiser from Pittsburgh to Erie. And they're all over the place. Uh, look one up if you have one near you. It's great. I loved it. And I think the thing that really got me was, um, you know, in Pittsburgh, a lot of hills in Pittsburgh. Um, and on my first ride out to Ohio, uh, where it transitioned to being flat finally, and not just hills all over the place. Um, I found out like the joy of what a Peloton is and like how you can just sit and yeah. like draft on somebody. Um, and then the one time when I was riding with my brother-in-law and like, I just got in the zone and really had a great time. I was really cruising, uh, was feeling real good, put my head down and just went. And I looked behind me, like I finally finished up like 10 minutes later after really pulling, I like peeled off the front and I was like, Oh wow. You know, I got, got a couple people and I keep going back and it was a lot of people, each one being like, Hey, big guy. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for the ride. Thanks. I'm like, holy, that was a lot of people like, oh, okay. Thanks everyone. Holy. Yeah. Holy, yeah. So that was really a blast. Um, and, and just getting, getting that, you know, just, Traveling and seeing sights and, and uh, staying active—that was that was good. Really want to get back to biking some more. I, I don't know if I ever told you, or, or um, but before I did my walk from San Diego to SF, I was actually planning with, with my friend we were gonna do like a loop of Oregon on, on bikes, and then we scrapped that because wow. of because uh, of the Oregon fires. Oh man, yeah. And instead, you walked across California. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember. When, I remember when I when I had that uh, meeting with you guys, Mike. And uh, I mean, I told you this before before the meeting. Maybe not as much detail because it was a little, oh, it's kind of a little bit close. But we started walking. I forget what what city we were. We started walking into some some random like city right above LA. And I took that meeting in Camarillo. And yeah. that morning when we started walking at like six a.m. or whatever, and I think we had our meeting at like eleven a.m. Um, I, we we hadn't fully realized there were no. We were walking like I think it was over like Moore Lake or something, and there was no Starbucks for eighteen miles. 
and 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 like we we're taking a bunch of calls on the you know on the walk and stuff. Just gotta be careful with the muting yourself when cars go by, whatever. <laughs> like I, I was at least like a dab hand at being a pretty engaged person on the call, but I'm like, I mean, I'm pretty sure there's gonna be screen shares on this call. Kind of uh, kind of disrespectful if I don't if I can't sit in front of a, a front of a laptop for this meeting, important meeting. And uh, my friend had a couple calls and I was feeling pretty good. So I'm like, you know what, man, uh, there's like three hours till this meeting. We got 18 miles. I have a 35 pound backpack on my back, but I think I can make it if I, but I have to leave <laughs> right now. And he's like, okay. And I just started like running off and I made it. I, I, I emailed you like right before saying I'll be like just two or five minutes late. I made it probably three minutes before 11 to that Starbucks, but I was just soaked in sweat and so thirsty. So I knew I had to get water before I would, before I could possibly hop on the meeting. So I'm like, uh, yeah, just, just running a little bit late. I'll be there in two minutes, going to Starbucks, get myself the biggest glass of water, biggest cup of coffee. And then, uh, yeah, we had our meeting and, and well, I didn't notice anything. Like, yeah. You're, you're, like, you're like, you're like, where are you right now? And I was so confused where I was. I thought about it for like five seconds. Yeah. If you remember, I'm like, <laughs> I, did, I, did. I was like, Camarillo. I'm in Camarillo. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, I didn't I didn't realize that. Man, you weren't huffing and puffing at all. Well done. Yeah, I, I, I just needed four minutes to collect myself. Yeah. <laughs> Cruise through the meeting. Nice. Well, thanks, you guys. I really appreciate this. Yeah. It was a good conversation. I like being able to ask you guys a lot of questions, too. I know we worked yeah, uh, This is super fun. This is one of your episodes, for sure. Yeah, oh, thanks great. For it's super, super educational, too. Uh, I think, uh, I think honestly, the uh, the description on IMUs alone, um, I'm going to refer <laughs> I'm gonna refer people to, to that conversation a, a bunch. Um, nice. Very, very nice. valuable. Thank you. And thanks for uh, participating in the chat last, was it last week or a couple weeks ago? Yeah, well, keep, yeah. keep that up. We love that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> that was great, man. I was getting all fired up. I, true story. I was playing my son in uh, ping pong, uh, holding the phone up on one ear, and like, <laughs> I'm just trying to keep up with him. And he's he's in first grade. That's this one, uh, and and he was smoking me. <laughs> so now, let's go. I'm horrible at it, but yeah, that's awesome. It was fun. It's like, oh, wait one sec. Type on a thing. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Well, sweet. Thank, thanks for coming on again. Yeah, you guys. Awesome. Right. Take care. We will Peace. we'll see you all uh next week. Peace out. Peace.